The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 131. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Brave hearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position is Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hail. Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing Partners in Crime, a 10th Doctor story with Donna. Yay. Uh, today, and uh, to joining me today on the panel, sorry, I was so flabbergasted by Donna being back. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Hey, Dom. So, folks, uh, please, if you have not subscribed to the show yet, if you're just listening from the website or some other means, please subscribe to the show. Uh, you can do that in iTunes or Apple Podcasts. They're changing the name soon, so I have to change my language. Uh, iTunes is going to be not the name. It'll be Apple Podcasts soon. Or if you're an Android person, you Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app like Overcast or PocketCast, or on, we post these on YouTube where you could hit the bell to get notifications find the StarQuest channel on youtube and you'll find us there i do want to mention another new show from the StarQuest network that uh, you might be interested in uh if only because i'm on it and that show is called raising the bets and uh, my name is bettinelli the bets is my kids so this is a show with me and my wife melanie where we're talking it's it's subtitled a family podcast of pirates and penguins uh, <laughs> where it's it's a lot of fun, where we talk about our family, our family life, our adventures, the things that we're doing as a Catholic homeschooling family, and fun things. There's all kind. Of, we've always got things going on and going places, and we thought we'd share that with folks and kind of give you a little behind the scenes that who are these people that you hear making the show? You hear me talk about Star Wars or Star Trek or Doctor Who, but you maybe you don't hear about who who I am and what I'm about, and what we're doing here. And so I thought that might be fun if you're interested in that sort of thing. If you do go are interested in it, go to sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. There'll be a link in the show notes. So if you want to go on to sqpn.com, you'll find it there as well. So uh, we're talking about Partners in Crime, and this is the first episode of the fourth season of the Renewed, or new, as we call it, New Who. Mm-hmm. This is uh, aired in April of 2008, so about four, uh, a little less than four months, actually. Uh, since the Christmas special where the Doctor was on the voyage of the damned aboard the space Titanic. And we we have a new companion. We, we come back to visit Donna Noble, who we last saw in the previous season's Christmas special. She's played by Catherine Tate. She's a comedian in England, and that shows in her performance. And she was not originally planned to be a companion after the mm-hmm. special she was in, but she became available and was interested. And so she's back for a whole season now. What I found very interesting was that they were planning a companion that would have been very much like Donna Noble was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when Catherine Tate expressed interest, they, they said, OK, let's go back to that. The planned companion would have been another one who's uh, like not romantically interested in the doctor right. after they kind of played that storyline out with uh, with Rose and Martha. Well, I was, was going to say, you know, and in, that's that's kind of a smart thing. And frankly, I wish they would have done that instead of Martha. Right. You know, you know, they they tried to continue that kind of storyline after Rose left and it was it just it fell flat. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, Martha is kind of looked down upon, unfortunately, as a companion. You know, as, as we said here before, probably not worthily. I mean, she's a very good right. companion, but... Yeah, I mean, after having done this uh, season with you guys and talked about these episodes in depth, I realized how much more I liked Martha's episodes in retrospect. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, you know, at the time when I was first watching them, it was 
uh, it, it just felt like re- retreaded ground. But on her own terms, I liked her. In fact, if they'd flipped the Donna and Martha seasons, then there might have been a it might have been better. I, I think I think Martha would have come off better. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's very true. Uh, so I, I like that we've got to, and they make it very clear in this episode, as we'll talk about, that there is no romance uh, <laughs> at all, and it's a lot of fun. What I found interesting about this episode is they're really setting up on a bunch in a bunch of different ways the fact that Donna is going to be more of an equal to mm-hmm. the Doctor, and they do that in the first basically half of the episode mm-hmm. by having the characters function totally independently of each other. They're both investigating a mysterious happening. They keep eerily missing each other, which is played for comedy. Um, but they uh, they really set up the fact they're going to be partners here on an equal footing by spending all of this time showing them on parallel but non-intersecting tracks investigating this thing, just jumping back and forth between the Doctor and Donna. And as a consequence of that, the plot, the the focus is so much on the two of them that I think the plot in this episode is a little weaker than normal, a little thinner yeah. than normal, because it's so character-driven and what's going on with the Doctor well, and Donna's lives. And this is well, this is kind of a, a parallel go, going back to Rose, the first episode, where that was more about introducing the characters than it was the actual autons and all that stuff. It was, it's basically, this is introducing that, yes, Donna is going to be a companion and she's going to be a very different companion than what we'd seen so far in New Who. Right. Whereas with Martha's first episode, that was, while we were being introduced to Martha, that was, that was a heavily plot driven yep. episode mm-hmm. about the, the moon and the, and all of that, the, 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 uh, Jadun. Space rhinos. Yes. Who, well, by the way, the word is, is that we'll be seeing them again. Uh, the there is a picture of, of with Jodie Whittaker with the Jadoon. Well, you know what I say to that? Flo Joe, Po Joe, Wo Joe. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> now, isn't that an insult? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things, even though they're setting up Donna to be very, very different than Rose and uh, Martha, one of the things that I didn't, uh, there's a little bit of peek through from the previous companions in Donna's story, because at the beginning of this story, Don and we don't know this at first, but it becomes explicit in a scene with Wilfred Mott that the Doctor Donna is basically pining after the Doctor, not romantically, but as an adventure buddy. Right, and so we have the and I don't like that that much because we've seen this before, where you have a 20th century woman who's unhappy in her present mm-hmm. life. And that's what drives her forward into adventure. And I don't like the moaning about the 20th century and, oh, the doctor was so wonderful when I was with him. Why did I ever turn down his offer to be a companion? I don't like that. What I do like is the fact that Donna took charge of the situation and said, I'm going to find this guy again. And she then tracks him down successfully. Right. So there's a couple other uh, background things, you know, season related things that we probably should talk about first is. This is the beginning of a new arc. So the new who has been all about, you know, season long or multi-season even story arcs. Mm-hmm. And this one is often called the missing planets arc. And in this one, we, ha- we get mentioned that the breeding planet for the Adiposians has been lost. And they kind of throw us for a little curveball by saying, well, I don't follow the politics. But but we'll eventually get the idea that planets are literally being lost yep. from the galaxy and, and that, that sort of thing. So. This, there's not a whole lot of development of that in no. this, but it's the first one of that. We also have a reference to bees disappearing, and that'll be mm-hmm. part of the Missing Planet arc as well. Yep. Um, although it's also, that one happens to be real world, because there was a lot of colony collapse disorder that was happening to bees in the real world, and <laughs> I guess they became aware of that and picked it up in the show. Right. I was going to say, there's another arc that gets just really hinted at very briefly here uh, with the Santarans where you see the taxi has an Atmos sticker mm, and that yes. plays into the Santarin episode as well. So that they threw a lot at us here to begin. Right. Where, where Martha Jones will, will come back in that one. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one thing that, that we, we don't want I don't want to skip over is the, the presence of Wilfred Mott. So we saw Wilfred yes. as a newspaper vendor in the Christmas episode, the voyage of the dam that we just watched, but he was not in the original Donna Noble at Christmas episode Mm-mm. as her grandfather. He was he he didn't exist. What we had at the time of that episode was Donna's mother and father, 
And right. the actor who played Donna's father in that was supposed to come back and he was going to be there and not Wilfred. But and they even filmed uh, his scenes. But then he died, uh, sadly. And yeah. uh, but Father Corey, you said this, those scenes are actually still on the DVD, right? Correct. If you've got the DVD set um, for the fourth season on the same disc with Partners in Crime is the. It, and it's listed right on there, you know, at Howard Atfield deleted scenes right on the menu. And um, it's all the scenes that uh, Bernard Cribbins as Wilfred Mott filmed. Um, but it was filmed first with Howard Atfield. You know, he was he wasn't doing well. The the, the way the introduction by uh, Russell T. Davies t- says it, he wasn't doing well. He was sick already when they started filming for the season, but he was still willing to go forward. And so they filmed all the scenes with him. So all those scenes were complete for this episode. Mm-hmm. How did his performance compare to Bernard Cribbins? Much less energy. That was mm. the biggest thing I noticed was, you know, like there's a scene at the end where Bernard Cribbins is basically like dancing yeah. out there in the, the field. He kind of gets up. Uh, Howard Atfield just kind of gets up and jumps a little bit. You know, he spent a lot more time sitting down. I mean, his, 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 his performance, as far as the voice lines are concerned, are as good as anything that Bernard Cribbins did. But um as far as the actual energy put into the role was definitely not there you know and so you could you mm. can kind of knowing knowing that he was sick it kind of shows that you know he, he spent a lot of time sitting and things mm. like that so um very very different different but it is it is neat to see because it, it's the same scenes the same lines almost you know there's one line where where uh wilf says yeah your your parents were worried about you and they sent out the cops well obviously since this was donna's dad he says we were worried about you and sent out the cop, you know, had the police go right, looking for right. you. Hmm. You know, I have to say, I mean, it's a tragedy. The actor died. Uh, Howard Atfield. Howard Atfield, that he died and, you know, rest in peace. But Wilfred turns out to be one of my favorite recurring characters. I, I just really enjoy yeah. uh, Bernard Cribbins' acting. I like the way the character's written, especially as we've already talked about in the in the final episodes for the for David Tennant, uh, you know, leading up to the end there. Uh, I just think he, it was such a great addition to this this yeah. cast and this this little family unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm really happy about that. Yeah, Wil- Wilf is is an awesome character, and I like the fact that by the end of the present story arc, um, he's actually going to yes. be a companion, and and so that's really cool. Um, I I really like uh, Bernard Cribbins's acting in in doctor who i've only ever seen him in doctor who no no i have seen him in, in other things now that i think about it i think he was in she which was a movie with two draculas in it it had both peter cushing <laughs> and uh christopher lee although they weren't playing draculas um they were playing archaeologists and if i recall correctly bernard cribbins is the like assistant to one of them he's kind of like an army officer guy who's an assistant hmm. to one of them um but he is in doctor who previous to all of this when he was a young man he was in the 1966 film dalek's invasion of earth uh 2150 and he plays a 20th century policeman there who accidentally ends up in the tardis and on this adventure with the with the daleks and he functions significantly he kind of takes the part of ian from the original tv version of this story uh, he plays sort of the same role, so he's kind of the action guy, but he's also the comic relief. And so there's a scene where you have the Daleks turning people into Robo Men, and he's got to pretend to be a Robo Man, and it's it's kind of a slapstick scene. And then at the end of the story, he gets back to the 20th century and captures the crook he was after. And yeah. it's it's really neat to see Bernard Cribbins in his prime. So if you want if you want to see what that would be like, check him out in Daleks Invasion of Earth 2150. I've, I've mentioned it before, but if you've got Amazon Prime, at least here in the United States, you can watch the Rift Tracks version of that. So <laughs> and that's the one with Peter Cushing as as the doctor. Yeah, as the doctor. Okay. Yeah. So uh, and then, uh, uh, Jimmy, you mentioned, you know, that it's really a pr- fairly thin plot around character introductions. Uh, in the introduction of, of Donna, uh, and let's be honest, it's a silly premise. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the, what we have is these creatures. The way they reproduce is by uh, sort of a parasitical relationship, where the they're introduced into an alien creature or another creature, and then convert their body fat into themselves into a, into a new creature. 
and mm-hmm. and they're called adiposians because adipose is a yep. is a human biological term for you know or a yep. earth biological term for body fat. So I was impressed as someone who you know has struggled with weight issues in the past and for a long time and uh who has consequently studied up on dieting and weight loss and stuff i was pleased to see not only are they using the word adipose correctly but they um if you listen to the techno babble uh when so there's this corporation um adipose industries which is a weight loss firm that has Mm -hmm. developed this allegedly miracle pill that will help people lose weight without even trying um the uh they have a corporate presentation early on uh by miss foster the head of adipose industries to the press and as she's as she's explaining how the pill is supposed to work she uses this techno babble and it's actually good techno babble <laughs> right. uh she she says that um she says that it um uh the pill uh, releases a special kind of lipase that breaks up the triglycerides, and it's like, okay, that's what would happen. Um, lipase is a kind of chemical that will break up uh, fat, and the f- fat that people are trying to lose is made up of triglycerides. Hmm. So, um, so that actually is nice techno babble that uh, is more real world than what you typically get on Star Trek. Yeah. Now, now, can we say though that the the Adiposians, the baby Adiposians, are the cutest villains ever? They are the cutest little creatures <laughs> up until the Pating. Um, yeah. So, so, so those are the two really super cute villains: the Adiposians and the Pating. Yeah. Although the Adiposians remain cute, even once they're yeah, they're, uh, yeah, they're being beamed they're, up and they're waving bye bye. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, the Pating still is a little cre- gets a little creepy. He's more like a. Uh, like a chud or something like that. I, but, well, uh, the the pating reminds me of the aliens from a uh, uh, Galaxy Quest. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Someone was inspired. Uh, so uh, I have to say though, the the presentation. My guess is, if they came out with this pill, really, this exactly the situation, and just said, "Okay, so these creatures will parthenogenesis from you." That's the term they keep using. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we take you know, a kilo of your fat at a time, and you don't have to diet or exercise or anything. I think people would still sign up for it. Oh, yeah, they totally yeah, would. Yeah, even if there was the risk of, like, your entire body being turned into them. Yeah, I, I think people, uh, that was, I think that was Miss Foster's big mistake, is just not advertising it right out in the open and just letting people volunteer, because yeah. I think people would have. So, because the, the end of the, the phrase is, the fat just walks away, which yeah. it literally does. does. Yes. Yeah. Also, uh, parthenogenesis is, so it's from Greek, and it means beginning from a virgin, so reproduction without sex. Yes, uh, and which is essentially what's, what happens here. Uh, although, yeah, yeah, uh, um, <laughs> we don't have to get too much into the detail. One of the things that comes up in that press conference is this idea that they have already have one million customers just in London, and yet they're only just now having a press conference. As if that we've we've rolled out this product to mass market. Well, they've rolled it out to Lund to the London area, and the purpose of the press conference is to generate publicity before they roll it out more broadly. So, so I think she kind of uh, insinuates that the British equivalent of the FDA has signed off on it, probably. You know that yeah. it's gotten government approval. I think I think they in realistically they would have done that before they started giving it to a million people. But <laughs> I was wondering. Yeah, you you'd have the the F, you'd, you'd have the you know the food. They're like you said, they're equivalent of Food and Drug Administration. But you'd also have you know health and safety. I guess it would probably be. Or, um, but then you'd also have uh, much smaller market trials. You know, when when people right. hear of market trials for drugs, you know. We're not talking millions of people. We're talking tens of thousands at most. At most for for a drug that's probably fairly benign results. Like even, like any kind of like yeah. especially like a cancer drug or anything like that, there would be a very small trial, clinical trial. And it's the health and safety thing that is the doctor and Donna's uh, entry point yes. into the story because they realize something suspicious is going on here. You know, miracle weight loss drug. And uh, the doctor has his psychic paper that he can use to pretend to be a, a health inspector. And mm-hmm. Donna apparently had a job in the health, whatever health and safety department it is, for like a couple of days before she quit. And um, 
she kept her badge from the job and is using that. Yeah, well, exactly. I wondered about that because to me, I mean, it, I guess that's, I mean, she's certainly passing it off as her health and safety badge, but to me, it looked like a driver's license. So I don't know. <laughs> she and does I flash it, would, it pretty quick. <laughs> I thought it was, yeah. she flashes it really quick. Like she doesn't want people to look at it. And so I thought it was part of the joke that she's actually just using a driver's license. That's possible. And I think that makes yeah. it funnier. Yeah. Um, but they, they then use their respective means, uh, to get into the building and start investigating things. And that's where we see a lot of the, they're doing exactly the same thing. They're, they'll even be in the same room with each other, but they're separated by cubicles. And so they don't see each other. Well, they keep popping up like gophers, but at different times. So they're not yeah. seeing each other. Kind of a, kind of a classic slapstick, uh, yes. comedy skit where they're just keep missing each other by, in one case, like a foot. Yes, yeah. exactly. And uh, they, they both get a client list printed out from the, from call center employees. I, at first, I thought that's a very short stack of paper for a million people. But I'm thinking it was that particular call center reps, that salesman's that's client kinda, list. That's kind of, I think, yeah. what, it, what it sounded like, too, where it was these are the people that this particular call center person had dealt with on a regular one-on-one basis yeah and they're we know they're uh, recruiting about 40 people a day in the london area per call center rep uh and we know that because uh miss foster comes out and says that she wants them to up that to 100 a day and if they don't get from 40 to 100 a day on average they'll be replaced and she says if anyone's good at trimming fat it's me. <laughs> it's, mm. The puns run uh, very quick in this episode. Yes. Uh, another key element is that both the doctor and Donna pick up these necklaces that are complimentary gifts to every new adipose customer uh, that they are MacGuffins that are important later on in the, yeah. in the episode. But uh, they each one picks them up. They explain it, but it goes by so fast. They're an important part of the process of how the parthenogenesis occurs. And if yeah. you fiddle with one of them, it will interfere or trigger the process of parthenogenesis. So when Donna visits a customer, she's got this uh, pendant that she was given and that isn't properly imprinted on anybody. And so while her customer is in the bathroom getting ready to uh, go break up with a guy, um, Donna is playing with this unregistered pendant and it causes an unscheduled parthenogenesis that turns not only the customer's fat into adipose babies, but all of her into, yep. into adipose babies. Donna Donna uh, triggers one adipose baby. Oh, that's but right. When yeah, Miss yeah, yeah. Foster realizes what's going on, she needs to cover up the thing, and that's right. Goes through a, a full conversion, and which dissolves the poor woman, Stacy. Yep. Yeah. And and that's there's a key aspect of this is because the doctor is at the same time visiting a, a different customer. And he finds out that every morning at 10 past one in the morning, the burglar alarm goes off. A motion detector burglar alarm goes off and uh, they can't figure out why. They think it's a it's a uh, an error. And what it is, is this, the, every day at a particular time in the morning when when the people are sleeping, they slough off this kilo of fat and it walks it walks out the door uh, or through the cat door in this case. I, I do. I did like the reference to the cat door because the doctor yeah. references the cat door like. Because remember when uh, with Rose, with Rose, they had something come in through the cat door, the uh, Auton arm, uh, I think it was. Yeah, there's also a couple of other references there. The doctor, the customer he's talking with, I think he says, I'm not really a cat person. And the doctor says, I've met cat people. You're nothing like them. And of course, we, <laughs> yeah, exactly. At, and New New York, we have met cat people. Also in Gridlock, we met cat people. Right. Um, and all the way back to the last episode of the classic series. The Doctor mm-hmm. Met Cat People, and the original title for that episode was Cat Flap, um, <laughs> and a- about, you know, something getting in that's not supposed to through your cat flap. And so we have the Doctor here talking about the guy's cat flap, uh, the the little flap on a, on your front door that the cat can come in and out of. And uh, so I thought it I thought it tied into previous stuff rather nicely. I saw a news article recently sort of related to cat flaps. Uh, about someone in Florida who had an alligator come into their their house through a cat yeah. flap. Yeah, uh, I, I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> no cat flaps in my house, whether I have a cat or not. I'll open the door. Yeah, that's we we got our problems in Montana with weather and everything and distance, but we don't have alligators coming in our dog doors or cat flaps. 
Yeah, the I, I saw one story that was uh, obviously having a little bit of fun with that because the previous week there had been a story about a large snake, a python or something, you know, one of those constricting snakes that got in a guy's toilet and then leapt out and bit him. Uh. And this was also in Florida. And so the article on the kitchen, the alligator that came into the kitchen was like, OK, sorry, toilet snake, alligator, kitchen alligator is now king. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I will take these ice and snow over <laughs> things leaping yes. out of stuff. Here, here. <laughs> All right, back to Doctor Who. So uh, when the uh, the full conversion of uh, the the poor Stacy happens, and all the little adipusian babies go flying out the uh, bathroom window, as, just as Donna breaks through to check on her, uh, the Doctor has this adipose detector that he's got and he's following. And we have the same thing where the the Doctor and Donna kind of he apparently is nearby in the same neighborhood, uh, and they pass each other on the street as this van uh, with henchmen pulls up and scoops up all of the adipose babies and takes them away. Uh, and so at this point, um, the doctor goes off to do his thing. Donna goes home and uh, we see and her meets mom. her unsympathetic mother. And he's, here we go with another unsympathetic mother on Doctor right. Who. Third companion, third yep. season, third bad mother. <laughs> just, yeah. I mean, I just, I, 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 uh, uh, Russell T. Davies uh, go, must have mommy <laughs> issues or go something. Go see a therapist. <laughs> so, uh, but she gets berated for being unemployed. So Donna, you know, takes off and goes up the hill to see Wilfred, who's looking through his telescope. Uh, because remember, uh, well, they don't say it explicitly, but we get this idea that he, ever since the Voyage of the Damned Christmas episode, he's been looking for aliens. Yeah. Um, and she, this is where she reveals she's pining for the Doctor. Meanwhile, the doctor's in the TARDIS talking to himself uh, as if he's got a companion there. And we have this sad moment where he, he realizes he's talking out loud to nobody. Um, it's, it's very pathetic. I'm yeah. sorry. Poor, yeah. Poor, do they, poor they doctor. Cut, they could have cut that scene and that would have been just fine. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's designed to, to up the ante on the emotional need. And, and it's to show us that the doctor is ready to have a new companion now. Mm-hmm. So the next day, the doctor and Donna are back at Adipose. They break in again and hide out all day. They break in in like the morning and then just hide until the evening. He hides in a broom closet in the basement and she hides in the ladies room uh, literally for like nine hours. It's, it's yeah. like all day. It's like, wow, I would not want to hide in a bathroom stall for nine hours. That would just be insane. It's a ladies room. So it's, I'm going to guess. Well, the, it's better the ladies than rooms are room, nicer. But... Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> so what, what happens, it turns out that she's not the only one hiding in there. Miss Foster comes around looking for someone who's, who we're supposed to think is Donna, but it's really this uh, reporter from the press conference, Penny Carter. An interesting bit of trivia, that was supposed to be the name for the new companion. Penny Carter right. was going to be the new Donna mm. companion. Yeah. And I really liked the way they played this scene, because as far as we've seen, Donna is the only person hiding in the bathroom stalls. And then Miss Foster comes in with these goons with guns and is like, I know you're in here. Come out now or it'll get unpleasant. And uh, then they start uh, kicking in the doors of the stalls one by one. And so, you know, it's just a matter of time till they reach Donna. And then they find this other woman and right. it's her they've been looking for. And I thought that was a really great fake out. And they, they come around, uh, they, they take her, they take Penny, uh, Miss Foster does, and takes her to her office and ties her up in the chair. Meanwhile, the doctor is on the roof in a uh, window cleaning. Suspended access cradle yes. is what those are called. And mm. Donna is inside looking through this round window in the, in the office door. And they see each other across the room and start talking to each other silently. Now, the, 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 the online transcript has the, uh, the, text of what they're you know the lip reading of that yeah uh, and it's i mean this is one of the best scenes of the of this season yeah i mean this oh, is it's the, hilarious this is the doctor and donna in a nutshell here at their best at uh, this this very funny moment they get so caught up they get so caught up talking to each other they aren't even paying attention to what's going on in the room anymore <laughs> and they, yeah and they realize they've been found out <laughs> yeah as as they're as so Donna is miming to the doctor and in the original script uh, it, as a suggestion for what Donna could mime uh, it's I came here trouble read about it internet I thought trouble equals you <laughs> and this place is weird pills so I hid back there crept along looked you because they 
And so that's what was suggested in the script. To me, I couldn't catch all of it, but to me, it looked like Donna mouthed, I've been looking for you. Right. Mm hmm. And yep. and so I think she may have, you know, just used what was in the script as a suggestion for the miming. Right. But she does this intense miming trying to get the doctor to understand why she's there. She also clearly points at herself and says, it's me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so and- here's, here's what they do. So it says, Donna, doctor, doctor. And then he says, but what, what, what? Because that's David. Yeah. Did it. What? David did. Gotta have <laughs> yeah. the and what. Donna says, oh, my God. You'll excuse the uh, mild uh, blasphemy. And the doctor says, but how? <laughs> and she says, it's me. And the doctor says, yes, I can see that. And she says, oh, this is brilliant. And he says, what the hell are you doing here? And she says, I was looking for you. What for? I read it on the internet. Weird. Crept along. And this is where she does the hand motions. Heard them talking. Hid. You. And then that's when Miss Foster, they turn to look at Miss Foster staring at them, says, are we interrupting you? And the doctor yeah. says, run! <laughs> Realize they've both been under observation by the villain this whole time. <laughs> right. By the way, Mrs. Foster also ex- explains the origin of her name. She picked it. Yes. Uh, she's a foster, as in foster mother. And I was pleased I caught, I didn't catch that it was going to be foster mother, but I caught that it was a trait name beforehand because fosterage is when you take someone under your care mm-hmm. in a kind of parental role. And so I said, oh, well, she's the foster for the adipose. Yes. Yep. Exactly. So uh, she she has she does the typical villain. I'm explaining my plan to you to uh, Penny, which says the capsule attracts all the fat cells officially attracts the fat cells and flushes away. She says, well, that's true. Partly true. It binds the fat together and galvanizes it to form a body. And then that's where that comes from. So the capsule, she calls it the spark of life, the, the, yeah. the, the pills. Um, so as soon as the doctor and Donna realize their cover is blown, they immediately run right in, in the respective ways they can. The doctor in the suspended access cradle outside the window and Donna away from the door. And Miss Foster orders the guards after them. And for some reason, the guards shoot the door in, in even though Donna is clearly not on the other side of it anymore because they can see she left. No, the doctor sonic the door yep. handle. He, he oh, sonic it from okay, outside. Well, you see, you see a scene where he points the sonic and then there's like a blue light shines on the door. Yeah. So the idea okay. of the door is locked. Of course, they, they shoot the door, which would do absolutely nothing. Right. Well, yeah. they shoot the door and then just the hinges disappear. The <laughs> it's just how the door yeah. falls. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how doors work, but uh, yes. <laughs> and then uh, this is, of course, this is coming from Britain where, you know, they really don't have a lot of experience with how weapons actually well, work. Well, no, the, so, the, yeah. the, the guys who handle weapons on movie and TV sets, they know how they work. <laughs> But the producers yeah. should listen yeah. to them. But that's okay. Yeah. So, in, in, incidentally, so the uh, I timed it, and the moment at which the doctor and Donna first see each other is at the twenty-three minute mark. So that's half the episode we've spent mm-hmm. with them not seeing each right. other. I mean, this is the, from this point on is the is basically the run out of the episode. I mean, there's not we're not going to be jumping in time. They're not going away and having a lot of downtime. This is the run out of the episode here this night yep. together uh so it's it's uh, interesting that way too and when they get to the roof he he sonics the roof access door shut and he's trying to manipulate the uh the, the cradle the window cleaning cradle and she she explains that she's been looking for him everywhere where weird stuff has been reported and she's believed it all except for the thing about the titanic flying over buckingham palace nobody believes that which is the one thing that actually yeah. has happened. <laughs> yeah. She says she's been investigating Yetis and the Loch Ness Monster and found them all. And it's like, well, those are no duh. Those have been in previous Doctor Who episodes, both mm-hmm. the Yetis and the Loch Ness Monster. Right. Um, so she would find records of them. I also like when she first meets the Donna, the doctor, the first thing Donna says is, you've got the same suit. Don't you ever change? Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course... She knows nothing about regeneration at this point. So, yes, yep. but and he never does change. None of the doctors ever change clothes once they uh, settle on an <laughs> no, outfit. Few of them do. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Miss Foster turns out has a sonic device of her own uh, that she uses to open the door and then to almost uh, to make the cradle to uh, fall from the side of the building. And Donna's hanging. Hers is a sonic pen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Donna ends up hanging and. Yelling at the doctor for making her hang there while he tries to get her free. Um, 
how do you deadlock a building? Like deadlock seems to be one of these terms that Doctor Who uses for like um, phase, do the phase change too, like reverse the polarity. It just seems like an all-purpose yeah. lock. No, this is a real-world term, if I'm not mistaken. You you will say like deadlock the facility or something, and that means you know really lock all of the doors. Don't let anybody in or out. Well, you would have to have like your magnetic locks and things like that. You know, yeah. so every window has a magnetic lock on it. I have never heard that term outside of Doctor Who. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I, 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 mean, I think it's real world. Maybe I'm mistaken. Yeah, yeah. no, I've, I've I've heard heard that before, but again, you know, it, okay. it's it's the equivalent of say you know put the building on lockdown. Yeah, yeah, that that would yeah, that's if if she said that I would I wouldn't blink twice. But I guess it's not. Maybe it's a British term, Britishism. Maybe, 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 not. whatever. It's my own lack of knowledge. So, uh, yeah, that might be their way of saying lockdown. So at so the doctor eventually manages to get Donna off of the hanging cradle uh, through Miss Foster's office window, where Penny is still tied up, and they go. She, they run past her, still tied up. She says, "Oi!" And he's like, "Oh, sorry." Comes back and Sonics are out of the the, the cables that were tying her. Yeah, I, I love a little bit of dialogue here, where um, she she asks if anyone is going to tell me what's going on, and the doctor says, "Aren't you a journalist?" "Yes." "Well, make it up." <laughs> <That's> yeah, <laughs> I, I loved that part. That was good. So uh, that the, this finally is a, sh- a face down between the doctor and Donna and uh, Miss Foster and her goons in the call center where they were before. And she reveals that her name is Cophelia. She's a matron of the five straighten class of Bindi nursery fleet, intergalactic class, hired by the Adiposian first family to foster a new generation after their breeding planet was lost. So you got all that? <laughs> yeah. And the doctor in this scene refers to her as a wet nurse for the Adipose. And I'm going, do you know what that term <laughs> yeah, means? That's the- we don't have any evidence of her functioning as a wet yeah. nurse. Yeah. She may be their foster mother, but she's not breastfeeding them. she may be a doula or midwife maybe yeah doula midwife but not wet nurse that might be another one of those phrases though that's taken kind of more of a common understanding that doesn't quite connect to the original meaning uh, maybe maybe i yeah maybe i don't I, know just a guess it could also just be bad writing i mean yeah if they called her midwife there could be a connection to that tv show called the midwife which i'm not i think was out at this time but maybe not but it would have been funny. You, you know, if we if we hesitate. I mean, a little bit. We sometimes will say maybe that's a Britishism, but you know, they invented the language. They should use it correctly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the doctor uh, says to her, seeding a level five planet, which Earth is, is against galactic law, and because Cophelia thinks that the doctor has alerted the Shadow Proclamation. She's now decided she's going to convert the one million people that already have. Jimmy, the Shadow Proclamation. So the Shadow Proclamation is first referred to in the episode Rose, the first episode of the new series, where the Doctor tells the um, the uh, intelligence controlling the Autons that uh, this what their activity is on this kind of planet is forbidden by the Shadow Proclamation. That will make that makes it sound like the Shadow Proclamation is a document, a proclamation. Um, later we will see that them depicted as an organization that's kind of some kind of security organization governing galactic no good nicks. Um, and so, so there's some kind of peacekeeping organization, but, uh, I, it's always irked me that they're set up as something that sounds like a document and then they're turned into an organization. And they keep coming back to them as in the first episodes of each season. If I don't yep. know if you noticed that mm-hmm. the first with Mar- uh, first with Rose, first with uh, Martha, and then first with Donna. Which is interesting. Well, they they, they kind of make it sound like it's an intergalactic interpol. Yeah. Yes. The, there's also in this sequence we have the Doctor and Donna um, having a bit of personal misdirection where they're talking. You know, Donna is essentially blathering on about. Uh, how she turned the doctor down and how that was a big mistake and and she should have come with him. And he says, come with me like he's incredulous. And she says, oh, yes, please. And, <laughs> and as soon as he realizes she's just thought she's accepted a new invitation to come with him, he just uncertainly says, right. And so <laughs> yeah. we know there's he's uncertain about he didn't mean to offer her companionship again at this moment. And that'll right. get tied up later in the episode. Yep. And this is a common element in their relationship uh, as communions, how often Donna just sort of leaps to conclusions based on mm-hmm. uh, misunderstanding of a, of a phrase. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a funny trope that, that, you know, part of their relationship. Um, 
Yeah, they're, at this point, they're hiding in a in back in that broom closet that the doctor was in. And it turns out all, when he was in there all day, he wasn't just hanging out. There's a access panel and behind it is connection to a central alien computer core. And uh, one of the things Donna talks about is like how she was going to after that Christmas special, she was going to go travel the world. And she ended up going to Egypt on some sort of package tour, <laughs> which was just, you know, a bunch of tourists. Don't drink the water. Uh, get on the bus and then come home and life is yeah. the way it was. I've been to Egypt and seriously do not drink the water. Do not. <laughs> yeah. Just do not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, uh, it was, I was in Cairo. It was incredibly hot. I wanted something to drink. Oh. I went and got some cans of Diet Coke and I got back on the bus. I looked at the cans of Diet Coke. They were so filthy, I decided not even to use hand sanitizer to clean them. I just threw them away. Ugh. <sighs> Gross. Uh, so, uh, so even the canned uh, drinks are not good. So, uh, so Miss Foster, or Cophelia at this point, has decided to, uh, it's time to cut bait, move on, uh, call in the Adiposians and take what she's got. And so she's going to convert the one million Londoners it, you know, completely into uh, the adiposian babies, dissolve them all. Um, and so people are starting to parthenogenesize. size. I don't know how to do it, but you give birth to these little <laughs> adipose babies, including uh, a woman who's with Donna's mother out at a restaurant uh, who, that was there. And they're all going to die. And the doctor said, if only I had a second one of these little necklaces, then I could save them, but I can't save them. And, and Donna quite casually just holds it up. Like, oh, give it to him quickly. Her her version. Yes. Yeah. She's got yep. she's got that second one that she got. And this is what he needs to reverse the process. Well, of course, you know, you know, she the 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 uh Miss Foster, Miss Foster, she puts it first in like level one. Right. It's like but it's got level two. It's got double speed. Yeah. And it's like, well, why didn't she just do that in the first place? Exactly. Because drama. Because drama. Exactly. Yes. So yet another alien spaceship flies over London, and of course, Wilfred misses it because he's facing the wrong way and listening to Dusty Springfield on his headphones. <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. the... the and, and the adipose babies start floating up into the sky to meet the mothership, it, which is, they don't call it that, but they really should. The mothership. Yep. <laughs> they should have called it the mothership, yes. So the doctor, Donna's asked, you know, are you gonna are you going to kill them all? Are you going to kill these the alien babies. And he says, I'm not, you know, he's not going to blow them up. They're just children, which is different from the last time Donna saw yeah. the doctor, which is when he killed the Rachnos children. Part of that has to be Rachnos children were like spider, spider yeah, babies. Evil. And these are cute little <laughs> adipose babies. And, you know, you don't kill the, the cute babies. Well, also the adipose, <laughs> the, the Rachnos babies would have been a threat in a way the yep. adipose yes. babies are not. Not anymore. Now that they've once they're once once they're out. there, they're harmless. Exactly. Uh, the and then uh, the doctor tells Donna uh, at this point that uh, Martha uh, changed him. That's why he's he's no longer you know homicidal against the the child, alien children, uh, and says that oh Martha fancied me, and she mocks him for it, which is setting the tone yes, for this relationship. Yeah. I mean that's just you <laughs> look at you, you're a thin uh, a stack of nothing. She <laughs> says to him. She puts him in his place. Uh, the doctor the, also gets information out of the computer core and realizes that Miss Foster is in trouble because yeah. uh, he finds out that the Adiposians knew it was a crime for them to breed their children on Earth and that he deduces, and this isn't really necessarily the case, but he deduces correctly that they're going to want to get rid of their accomplice. And so right. as Miss Foster is ascending via levitation to the mothership, he's like, no, 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 come over here. Let me get you out of the sky and onto this nice, safe roof. And she's defiant and doesn't believe she's in trouble. And then they turn off the levitation beam and she looks down and in wily Coyote fashion, as soon as she <laughs> looks down, she plummets to the ground to her death. Yes. One thing we, I should point out, because it's easy to forget, but at the time that this aired, there were a, it was at least one, but maybe more popular ep, uh, TV shows, reality shows about super nannies uh, mm. who looked very much like Miss Foster did. Very, uh, you know, uh, squared away. Yeah. Yeah. The, right to the glasses. And it has that very attitude like, 
like like the uh, a mean Mary Poppins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of a mean Mary Poppins, I need to divert us for just a minute before we tie up to the episode, but that's okay because it'll just yes. increase the dramatic tension for the end of the, the yes, end of the exactly. Episode. So it's right in back yeah. in um February, <clears throat> uh, Big Finish came out with the first uh set of plays starring Michelle Gomez as Missy. Mm-hmm. It's the Missy box set volume one she had previously appeared in a river song uh diary entry called the bechdel test where she got to play with river but in this new thing she's all on her own she's the main character and it's awesome i finally got around to listening to it it is brilliant (laughs) um and and not in the british brilliant equals just good sense i mean brilliant in the this is incredibly intelligent writing um Mm -hmm. it's got four plays in it they're each an hour long the first one a spoonful of mayhem takes uh, Missy and puts her in the Mary Poppins role because she's always been depicted visually as this sinister Mary Poppins. Yeah. And so she's in Victorian London and becomes the nanny to two children and takes them <laughs> on amazing and disturbing adventures. And that's it's, awesome. It's, it's really well done. Then the second one, divorced, beheaded, regenerated, puts her in the time of Henry VIII. And she and the meddling monk are going after each other as, as fellow Time Lords, and they get engaged and almost beheaded together. <laughs> um, and and then the next one, uh, the third play, is um, The Broken Clock. And it's set, it, it's essentially an episode of an American cheapo um documentary true crime documentary called dick zodiac's america's most impossible killers and (laughs) and so it's an episode of dick zodiac's america's most impossible killers where we have a detective reconstructing an investigation he did into some impossible killings and he's ably assisted by detective inspector missy masters who's come over from scotland yard in england (laughs) (laughs) and and this is just, I think over these three, it just keeps getting smarter and funnier in each one. So this one is the most meta thing I've heard in I don't know how long. Missy does actually break the fourth wall in it, but that's kind of towards the end. And you'd barely even notice it because leading up to that point, they have been pounding on the fourth wall with both fists <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> Um, satirizing the conventions of cheapo true crime documentaries. That's awesome. And it's really awesome. And then the final one, uh, The Belly of the Beast, we get to see Missy in charge of her own planet Mm. where she is um, using, uh, she's using slave labor to have people dig in the mines to uh, find something she needs for her overarching plan. And we now learn what her overarching plan involves. Okay. And it's it she also, just to keep things interesting, since she's in charge of this planet, she has no effective opposition, so she decides to lead a rebellion against herself. Because <laughs> she's, she's bored. She's bored. Uh, so yeah. awesome box set. Yeah. If you if you like Missy at all, you will love this set. It's really great to see her without the doctor around having to drag the plot around him. Yep. You get to just see her gallivanting around the universe doing Missy stuff. Missy was one of the best parts of of Peter Capaldi's. Uh, oh, absolutely! Uh, all right, so so back to our episode. Back to partners in crime. So we've we've settled things off, and Donna has decided that she's going to she that the doctor has offered her a, a you know to go along as a companion, and the doctor is hesitant. Um, he doesn't want <laughs> any romance, and he says, "I'm just looking for a mate." And Donna, of course, again mishears him and th- th- thinks he says, "I want to mate." And so he's trying to explain to her, a mate, a mate. He doesn't say friend. Yeah. He says, you're, you're not, not mating, mating with, with me. me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jinx. So it, it says. You're not mating with me, sunshine, yes. is the full line. Yep. And uh, she's got a whole bunch of her bags because she's packed for every occasion. Uh, cold weather, hot weather, no weather, uh, <laughs> and a hat box. Mm-hmm. I was going to say no weather. Wouldn't that be a spacesuit? But probably. Uh, <laughs> she has she has a. Uh, a hat box for she's ready for the planet of the hat people. And uh, but she realizes it. So they they think they settle that out, that she's willing to go with him just as pals, because I think he between Martha and then um, Astrid uh, star. I get it. She became part of the stars. 
the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Astrid, mm-hmm. you know, the whole romantic thing kept going bad. Rose, Astrid, Martha. He's like, I'm done with dating my companions and uh, or being having them interested in me. And that, so now that it was settled, she's willing to go. But she realizes that she's got her mom's car keys, which is such a real world sort of down to earth sort of th- concern. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it's like, oh, I've got your car keys. I can't just fly off to another dimension with them. So she throws it. She calls her mom. I'm putting him in the trash bin on the street, which is an interesting solution. And then turns to this blonde woman and says, hey, when some woman comes by, look, you know, looking for her car keys, tell her it's in that bin. And then the blonde woman turns around and it is Rose Tyler. Dum, dum, dum. Who walks away and disappears. What? <laughs> Yeah, and by disappears, not just around a corner, but fades out. Fades, yep. It fades out, yes. Uh, which is the whole part of the whole Missing Planets story arc, uh, as we will see. So, and then to, to finish things off, the, the doctor asked Donna, where do you want to go in all of time and space? And she says, I want to go to about a mile and a half that way. And it turns out she's flying by Wilfred's telescope as he sees Donna hanging out the door. She had told him earlier, if you ever see a blue box fly by you know let me know and he's like oh, it's a blue box it's a blue box in the sky and then he looks he goes it's donna and he starts cheering her you go girl uh it's a, a a great scene a great scene with wilfred so um and that's that's how it that's how it finishes out yeah so any uh any other thoughts any other stuff we didn't get to this time just one small thing uh, i got a kick out of uh the press briefing that instead of using like a computer projector, it was actually using a projector room with an actual 35 millimeter <laughs> projection system. That is true. That is true. For all of uh, Adipose Industries high tech stuff, they had a film projector. I, I like the fact after they unti- after the doctor untied Penny, um, she then gets tied up again right. by yeah. the uh, by Miss Foster's goons. And at the end of the episode, when we see her the last time, she is still tied to that chair. She is like stumbled out onto the street, tied to the chair, and is defiantly talking to the doctor, tied up. As she goes yeah. off. You're mad, mad. <laughs> so, yes, that was good. So uh, as we finish up, then uh, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to have this a lot of fun like we had today making Secrets of Doctor Who. This has been a, lo- a blast. And so we want to thank George Yu. Amy M, Connie W, Robert H, and Daniel W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows we do at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What do you think of Partners in Crime? What do you think of Donna as the Doctor's companion? And what do you think of what we had to say about this episode? Uh, it, did you have as much fun as we did? We'd love to get your feedback on this one. I, I know that there are plenty of Donna fans out there. Uh, so yeah, I want you to weigh in on this. Uh, no pun intended. Let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and leave us some feedback or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the third Doctor story, Inferno. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. And Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. Yeah, thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, how do you find the Doctor? Look for trouble and then it'll turn up. UFO sightings, crop circles, sea monsters. I looked, I found them all on Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. <laughs> right. This is going to be fun. A little cross-promotion there.